There's just not enough time in the day, is there? 24 hours seems like enough time to do all that we need to do, but the reality is is that we sleep at least a quarter of that time, if not, some of us, a third of that time. We find that getting up is often a struggle, much less thinking about all the things that we need to do on that particular day. And we're all busybodies, for we know that we have to be efficient if we're going to accomplish all of the day's tasks. Those of us who have children know that there are feeding schedules that need to be kept, homework that needs to be helped with, and somewhere in the midst of everything else, we still have to do our own work that has to be done. And then, of course, there are homes that need to be kept up with, whether it's washing the dishes or even putting them away or cleaning up our mess and restoring order. These are things that we deal with on a daily basis. And it's easy to discover that there's just not enough time in the day to do it all. And some days, inevitably, something's going to be left undone. And of course, tomorrow's duties will replay today's. It's as if we're experiencing Groundhog Day each and every day. If only we had more time. Maybe, just maybe, we could get it all done. As we come to our passage of Scripture today, we find Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. He has just entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey to the praises of many who desire for him to be their rightful king and hope that he will restore Israel by ousting their Roman oppressors. But rather than kicking out the Romans, Jesus throws out the money changers and overturns the tables of those selling doves for the sacrifices at the temple. It's Passover week, and Jesus is upset with what he sees transpiring in the holy city, especially at the Lord's house. And so Jesus continues to do God's good works there, offering healing to the blind and to the lame. And once again, he finds opposition from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Upon a return trip to Jerusalem from Bethany, he is confronted in the temple courts by these chief priests and by these elders, and they are angry with him, and they want to know why this Galilean peasant has the audacity to come to the temple and act the way that he has acted. And so they question him by asking who has given him this authority to do what he is doing, namely by coming in and throwing these tables over and acting like he owns the place. It's a trap a way to undermine his authority by upholding their own. But Jesus refuses to fall for it. Instead, he boldly agrees to answer their question if they first answer his own question. He asks them, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Jesus turns the tables over again, for they know that if they answer from heaven... He will want to know why they haven't believed John's message. And if they say it's of human origin, that the crowd around them will uproar because they have believed that John is a prophet sent by God. So what do they do? They lie. And in doing so, they present a stalemate rather than a checkmate that they had hoped for. And so Jesus tells them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. 
Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus' parable is set in the context of their confrontation of him there in the temple. They confront him because they do not believe that he is a prophet from God, much less the Messiah. But this has been consistent with the early ministry of John the Baptist, who served in the wilderness, calling Israel to repent, to turn away from their sinfulness and to return to God. Now, John baptized many in the Jordan River who heard his message and believed that God had sent him to prepare the way for the Messiah. And while the Pharisees and Sadducees came to check out what John was doing, many of them refused to listen to his message, and many of them refused to be baptized. In fact, Luke tells us this, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Even Matthew declares in chapter 3, But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Jesus' parable to them is intentional. He wants them to hear and to understand what really matters. And so he asked them to tell him which son does the will of his father. Now, you have to understand that Jewish culture is one of both honor and of shame. And it's very important to bring honor upon your parents, specifically to the father of the household. And so when your father tells you to do something, you don't question it. You go and do it. Working was a family business, and serving in the vineyard required every child to take part. Refusing to do so dishonors your father. It's very much like the prodigal son who approached his father and asked for his share of the inheritance before his father had died. That is something that you do not do. Essentially, what the son said to his father was, I wish you were dead. Even the Ten Commandments remind us of the importance of honoring your father and your mother. And so in this parable, the first son is defiant. He's shameful in his response to his father, while the second son answers his father with dignity and with honor. And although their verbal responses differ, so does their obedience. Even though the first son refused to go, he eventually changes his mind and does what his father asked of him, while the second son tells his father what he wants to hear and refuses to show up to do work. You see, the second son has also dishonored his father by not following through on his commitment. Jesus' question to the chief priest and to the elders requires them to answer which son actually did what was asked of him. And so they respond by answering the first son, who refused initially, but finally went. In doing so, Jesus tells them the hard truth. 
He says, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus has just insulted them in front of everyone. He suggests that these religious experts, the ones whom he spoke of, saying, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They are being surpassed by those who are considered to be unholy and irreligious. How could Jesus say such things? They have been very intentional upholding the laws of God. In doing so, they have earned the respect of all of Israel. Many of them have devoted themselves to the study of the Scriptures, memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and seeking to uphold it to the nth degree. And now Jesus tells them that their entitlement attitude of automatically being in the kingdom of God is now in question, whereas those who have ignored the Torah completely will receive VIP treatment. He has told this parable as an indictment against those who believe that their righteousness of the law is enough to get them into the pearly gates. But the issue here has to do with faith. Faith that John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare them for Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law stood at a distance and they refused to be baptized. They didn't believe John's message and they continued to refuse Jesus' message time and again. But the prostitutes and the tax collectors, those who were considered to be unclean and irreligious, they believed John. And they believed Jesus' message of grace and God's love and call in their lives. They repented of their sins. They were baptized and they sought now to follow the Lord. And while these sinners don't have theological degrees, they have allowed their faith to influence their living, obediently changing their behaviors to answer Jesus' call in their lives. Take Zacchaeus, the tax collector, as a perfect example of such things. And despite the many miracles Jesus has performed, Despite his consistent message of inclusion and of grace, his opponents continue to view him as a threat to their authority. And rather than acknowledging his works are from God, they seek to get rid of him. Their service to God is with their lips, but their hearts and their actions deny God's transformative work in their lives. I find that Jesus' message to them is a hard pill for them to swallow. He doesn't mince his words, nor does he coddle them. But I also think it's very important to acknowledge that Jesus doesn't condemn them either. In fact, it's important to hear what the Father commanded both of the sons in the parable. He tells them, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Now the Greek son for word is the Greek word for son is actually child. You see, both of the sons have dishonored their father. One is not better than the other. Both of them are guilty of sinning against the father, of showing a level of dishonor. But the father's command is for them to go and to work today. And this is important because today is a new day. 
And today means that it's not what happened yesterday or many years ago, what we consider to be the past. The truth is, is that all of us can look back at our past and we can see the numerous ways in which we've rebelled against God. We have intentionally ignored the Lord's words in Scripture more times than we can actually count. Like God's promise to Abraham to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or as numerous as the sand on the seashore, so have our sins been as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. They defy God's call to do what is right and to walk in his ways. Today, we are called to repentance, to go and to work, to be obedient to the amazing grace of God that blots out all of our transgressions and calls us to live for Him. In addition, today is a new day to actually change our ways. How many times have we told God that we'd follow Him but failed to live up to our word? When Jesus calls us to follow Him, we offer our lip service, but when it comes time to move, we make excuses for why we can't. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Yet Jesus demands, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see, today is the day to act, not tomorrow. In fact, there may not be a tomorrow. So so often we say together, well, there's just not enough time in the day. And yet we hear Jesus' command to go and work today in the vineyard but we put everything else first and leave this on the back burner only if there's enough time left over at the end of the day. But with Jesus, there's urgency in his message to the chief priest and to the elders, for they are running out of time. It's not that they are the bad son, for both sons stand equally guilty of not doing what they have been asked to do or what they should have done. The difference is that they think that their lip service, their lawful observance, is a substitute for the repentant faith that moves us into action. You see, it's ultimately not about tithing the right amount or showing up to church every Sunday or reading and even memorizing the Bible. Those are all good things. But the most important thing is allowing our trust and our faith in Jesus to move us into action This means that we're called to follow Him, to serve God as we care for one another, and to do the work of God, sharing God's amazing grace that restores brokenness in the world through God's forgiveness and reconciliation that only comes through Christ alone. It's not enough to profess Christ as Lord or to simply believe in God. Belief is not something that we possess. Faith is not something that we own. It moves us to obedience, to live for God in every area of our lives. It reshapes the way that we see time, the way we see ourselves living in response to the grace that God has given to us. It means that we rejoice when repentant sinners come to know and accept God's love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, which includes the worst of sinners and even the most respected. You see, Christ calls all of his children to go and to work in his vineyard today. So friends, today I'm not sure where you are in your walk with Jesus, but I know that you do. And I also know that Jesus knows where you are and where you've been. 
And today he calls out to you because he's not worried about what's happened in the past or what you've said before that you didn't follow up on. Today he's asking you to go and to work, to be obedient and to follow him, to leave behind those failures of the past and to allow your verbal yeses to complement your daily actions. He's calling us to walk the talk to bear witness to God's unconditional love that welcomes every wayward child to come home and to find forgiveness and reconciliation. And in doing so, we bear witness to the kingdom of God that welcomes all the unrighteous because of the righteousness and obedience of Jesus Christ, who was obedient to God even to the point of death on a cross for every single one of us. My prayer for us this day is that we would not hesitate to recommit our ways to the one who has given us every hour of every single day to live in faith together and for his glory. Our call is to reorient our priorities so that there's always enough time for every today to live for Jesus. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.